Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And what's up? Welcome in GC Live Friday episode, also known as South Carolina versus Tennessee preview, where we will give you all of our final thoughts on the Gamecocks and Volunteers. Week five, hard to believe. Gamecocks, everybody else rolling right along. South Carolina, of course, two and two overall, one and one in the SEC. Another swing game for the Gamecocks, taking on Tennessee in Knoxville at Neyland Stadium. West Mitchell here, Chris Clark. Chris uh, appears to be live from the beach, but <laughs> actually instead is live from Still Hands Brewing, I believe. Yeah, this is the next best thing, Wes, other than the beach. Or depending on how you feel about it, maybe it's even better than the beach because you can come out here to Steel Hands. They always have live music on the weekends. They open at noon on Fridays behind me, the stage where they'll have live music tonight. Already a bunch of patrons out here checking out some food, checking out some brews. And, of course, if you've been living under a rock, you don't know that they now have Sandstorm Lager in the tap room. you probably heard of it, though. Come pick up a six-pack. Come pick up – you can get a case in the tap room, Wes, if you got a big weekend plan. Make sure you get it for your Tennessee tailgate. Uh, if you're heading up to Knoxville, swing by. If you're going to be at home, also swing by. But uh, I'm out here broadcasting. It's a beautiful day. So, looking forward to diving more into this matchup. Live from Steel Hands. Yeah, South Carolina, Tennessee, like I said. And uh, as always, this show brought to you by our buddy Clint Hammond of Movement Mortgage, clinthammond.com, 803-771-6933. If you're in the state of South Carolina and you're looking at buying a house and you're kind of wondering, what are the interest rates? What would my monthly payment look like? What can I afford? What can I not afford? You know, Clint, as a veteran mortgage broker, can walk you through that entire process. He did the same for me and my wife. He can do the same for you and your family. Give Clint a shout. More information, clinthammond.com. So, again, final day, final thoughts on South Carolina, Tennessee. We've already sort of hit on some of these topics, but Friday is when we sort of uh, empty out all of our thoughts on what's going to happen in this matchup. Uh, I was going through our staff pick them earlier today, and – I don't want to say consensus because it's not everyone, but there seems to be a lot of thoughts that maybe this thing could be somewhat high scoring. I think maybe there's a thought, Chris, that South Carolina put up 63 points last year. You go back, um, what was it, 45 to 20 two years ago in Knoxville? Is that right? Tennessee, and, and really that, you know, Tennessee had like a 28 nothing lead in that game, I think, or they, they were up they were up big early. Like the, the points were were flying basically. And you know, it, it didn't maybe necessarily completely play out where they put up a you know 50 or 60 points like South Carolina did, but it was more like, you know, kind of run out the clock there at the end, I think, if I remember correctly. But 
there have been some points in this series the last couple of years. Traditionally, to me, it hasn't felt like there's been a ton of points. Certainly not many scored by South Carolina in Knoxville over the years. Even when they've won, it's been a little bit more low scoring. As good as Rattler has been, as good as Leggett has been, I don't know, maybe history is kind of affecting my thought process on this. But also, I think it's a pretty good Tennessee defense, Chris. They brought a lot of guys back, specifically up front. Uh, I think they they do a really good job on the defensive line. They have guys that have played. Um, linebacker, they're maybe a little bit more inexperienced. But, uh, you know, th- these guys, I think, maybe take a little bit of a backseat to the hype that comes in around their offense. But they can play defense. So, to me – I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I think South Carolina kind of needs to hold Tennessee thir- 30 or less. Like, I, I think if you start getting up much above that, 31, 34, 35, you know, that, that's where I, I think it's kind of tough to, to expect your team to go score a bunch of points in Knoxville. Unless, Chris, it's like, you know, you're talking about a pick six or a fake punt, like some, you know, just something that's out of your normal offense versus defense type plays. Yeah, you're right. It becomes it becomes difficult, man. On the road at that point, uh, that's a tough proposition, you know. And like this, you were you made a great point about the balls defense. Like, I don't know in the since Josh Heupel's gotten there. Does anybody have any clue if Tennessee's defense has even been good, like statistically, or even if they've been bad? It's almost like nobody really cares because they're so honed in and dialed in on this offense, and they, they can go up down the field, they can score a bunch of points. Uh, and I think there gets to be certain narratives. I mean, one of them, Wes, is that you know, certainly, look, they had Hendon Hooker last year who was a phenomenal player. He was a Heisman Trophy candidate at one point. They had those great receivers with Jalen Hyatt, with Cedric Tillman. They had guys that could hurt you all over the place. And because of that, not many people talked about the defense. Not many people talked about this Tennessee run game, which they really leaned on that a lot, and they have done the same this year. Just look at the run game this season, Wes. I know we've said this before, but three backs that are all averaging six yards a carry or more. I think Dylan Sampson is the one that's up around – 7.1 yards a carry, and he has the most rushing touchdowns out of any of that running back room with five. Uh, the defense is the same, right? Like you you tend to think about Tennessee and you focus in on the quarterback play and hypo system. What is the defense like? And when you look up and down this roster, offensively, defensively, Shane Beamer pointed this out earlier this week during his press conference, it's yet another week where South Carolina is playing a team that has guys on it that have collectively and individually played a lot of football. It's a team with a lot of juniors, a lot of seniors, and it's almost getting tiresome, you can tell, for Beamer to say they not only have one of the toughest schedules in the country because of who they're playing and the talent level they're playing, but also the experience factors into that as well. Every single team they've played so far this year has been loaded with upperclassmen and Tennessee's got a bunch of those too. And so they've, they've got guys, their linebackers have been playing well. Their D line can be disruptive. They've got some guys in the secondary that have been in Knoxville for quite a while too. And so I'm with you. I, I actually have not to give too much away. I mean, people can run to Gamecock central and read our picks actually, if they want for the purposes of this show, we'll give our actual score prediction at the end. 
But I did pick a little bit of a lower scoring game. I, I don't think South Carolina can let this one get into, like you said, man, the 30s, certainly not the 40s, and expect to win in a shootout on the road. Yeah, that, that's just hard to do unless you're just a team that completely overmatches your opponent, which certainly that's not going to be the case here, uh, I don't think. And, you, you know, you go back to last year, man, South Carolina, obviously, again, that was at home, but even then, putting up 63 points, like that was a that, – that had never happened to Tennessee against an SEC opponent in the history of their program. So, uh, I mean – to, to expect to get anywhere close to that, I think, it, you know, that, that was like a historic night for South Carolina. Won a bunch of one-on-one -on -one battles, bunch of deep balls that hit. You know, you got, um, obviously, Juice Wells making a ton of plays, Josh Van making plays down the field, Jalen Brooks, uh, to carry on Joyner in the run game, Jaheim Bell making – I mean, everything went perfectly for South Carolina. I think this one plays out much differently. And – um you know, I feel like, Chris, we've seen a few more almost traditional, what I think of as old-school SEC football games a little bit more this year. Some of that maybe is the feel for the game with, with a running clock. It just feels a little bit differently, feels a little bit more low scoring. It feels a little bit more like every possession matters. Um, I was kind of paying attention to that Ohio State-Notre Dame game last year during – or last week during South Carolina's game. And it kind of felt that way in that game too. Like every possession matters because it was it was so low scoring and uh, a little bit more defensive based. I don't know if that's what's going to happen on on Saturday. You obviously have playmakers on both sides of the ball, uh, or on both teams, I should say, on the offensive side of the ball. And so we'll see if those guys can get loose. But uh, I think it's it's going to be interesting just to see the flow of this game. We've talked quite a bit. We talk about it pretty much every week about getting off to that quick start if you're South Carolina. And, you know, I, I think you look at it, they they had one of the worst starts they could possibly have two years ago in Knoxville. Um, you know, you look at the, the games that they have really struggled on the road. It hasn't really been so much that they've been just completely outmatched once they've settled in. Chris, it's been just kind of getting to that point where you get settled in. And, you know, their worst road game last year, the Florida game, you know, it's it's kind of not moving the ball on offense while simultaneously not getting off to a good start on defense. You and I have talked about that many times before, the complementary aspect of at least one side of the ball in these big road SEC games. At least one side of the ball has got to keep you in the game early on and give you a chance. It's when both sides kind of have that slow start that you find yourself in trouble. And I really like the idea of calling this Tennessee offense a momentum-based offense. Because when they get momentum on offense, I think that's when they really can just push you around and take command of a game. If South Carolina can force some early stops, then I think that really lets Rattler in this offense for Carolina kind of settle in. They don't feel like they have to force the throw. They can kind of still try to work on their running game and be a little bit more patient. Whereas if you have an early deficit, I do think there's going to be a little bit of a a little bit of a pressure on saying, all right, you would got to throw the ball to stay in this game. And then that's when 
you know, they're putting pressure on Rattler. That's when bad things can happen. Man, and you just you just unpacked a lot there, rightfully so. And so you, you gave me a bunch of points, I think, to, to continue to riff off of here. One of them is what you said about Tennessee's offense and how it's structured. Another thing that people think about with this Tennessee offense, and it is true, is that they do like to go fast. But I think it was TJ Sanders on the Garnet Trust Hour on 107.5 the game. I was basically asking him, what's worse, playing a team that's going to cut blocky most of the night like Furman or a team that's going to go fast and go tempo? Um, and he pointed out, hey, they're only going fast if they're moving the football, right? So if they're out there getting first downs, easy first downs, that was a big West problem in 2021, right? Throwing quick perimeter balls, getting 7 to 14 to 20 yards every single time. If you miss a tackle, you're getting into that 20-yard territory. Easy chain movers. And then being able to run the football, right? They're, that's what they want to do. They want to throw the perimeter. They want to run the football. And then they want to take their deep shots. So in order to prevent that and then prevent that tempo from getting on you, not being able to sub, getting tired out, running it up the middle, throwing it side to side, throwing it down the field, it becomes really, really difficult at that point to defend. So to your point, you got to get some early stops. Now, Shane Beamer and Josh Heupel have both in their media opportunities leading up to the game. They both, you know, given the typical coach answer that you would expect of, hey, last year's game doesn't have anything to do with this one. And it doesn't, you know, probably from an emotional standpoint, does Tennessee want to get South Carolina back? Sure. But the team that wins this one, Wes, is going to be the team that goes out and plays the best football, right? So I do think while last year's game doesn't have a bearing on this one, there are some lessons that you can learn from it, that you can take away from it, and some of the personnel is the same. One thing that South Carolina kind of quietly did last year, because Spencer Rattler was 30 of 37 for 438 and six touchdowns in that game, is you forget about how good they were on third down, and you forget about, here's a big one, the rushing yardage, right? The teams were about even last year in rushing yards, 152 for Tennessee, 153 for South Carolina. The Gamecocks didn't light it up on the ground. They carried the ball 38 times. They only averaged four yards a rush. But the point is, Wes, they did just enough. They had some key short third downs, some short downs and distances where they were able to run the football. They were able to get into the red zone and run the football. You think about the carry on Joiner had what two rushing touchdowns last season. Juice Wells had a rushing touchdown at Williams Bryce stadium. So I think not being one dimensional on the road is critical. Uh, you've got to be able to run the ball. Not great, but can you build on what you did uh, in the last game against Mississippi state? And here's another one, Wes, that comes to mind. Something you said, I don't remember what it was. Turn me back onto this point. That is field position. One of my keys to the game, Dowell Loggins hit on it. Gamecocks had two drives against Mississippi State that were 98 and 99 yarders last last game. Phenomenal to get that done. Can any team in college football rely on that week after week? No. You don't want to be relying on that. You especially don't want to be relying on it, as Dowell Loggins mentioned, on the road when you're backed up. Your chances of having something go wrong – are way, way higher than something going well when you're on your own two-yard line. And, man, if you look at South Carolina's starting field position, really, I like how you put it the other day. I think it was just you and I kind of talking privately, or maybe you said it on air on the show. 
Right, it's been bad all year. I mean, you, you, there's just no – you can't go through and say, well, it's, it's, it's straight up for most of the year been pretty bad. Against Georgia, USC was backed up so many times. Five of their drives began from their own 15-yard line or worse. Same deal at UNC. They had a bunch of drives backed up. That's an area that you've got to get better in. So that that goes back to – I know what it is that you said. Complimentary football. Mm-hmm. Not letting D. Williams from Tennessee spring a 20-yard return on you, which he's averaging, by the way. Getting off the field sooner than letting Tennessee, you know, drive down the midfield, right, and pinning you back. Moving the chains by running the football. Even if you're not scoring, can you play complementary football and play field position? I actually think that's going to be a big one this in this game, but it's an area that South Carolina has got to improve upon, you know, really throughout the rest of the year because you're kind of playing with fire on that one. Yeah, man, and uh, by the way, shout out to our boy Beckham uh, joining us all the way from the Netherlands. Very cool. If we see uh, one analytic click in, one view from the Netherlands, we'll know it's uh, it's Beckham joining us. Uh, hope you're doing well, man. So, yeah, and I, I think – if you, if, even if you look at the statistics, dude, like as far as field position goes, South Carolina, not good at all this season. And, you know, that is kind of one of those things where is it – I always like to look at football issues of like, all right, is this a symptom or is this an underlying problem? And so for that, there could be multiple underlying problems that could be leading to – the result of, hey, you're not getting great field position. Like you said, sometimes it could be a special teams coverage problem. Sometimes it could be a special teams kicking or punting problem. Sometimes that can be a, hey, we don't force enough three and outs on defense or we don't avoid three and outs on offense. You know, even, you know, to your point, even a seven-yard drive that nets – 36 yards and then just dies. We all kind of moan, you know, I that drive ended, but did you flip the field? And that's a little bit of an old school way of thinking about it in today's football. But if you go back, man, I remember, you know, y'all, y'all, I know you can all have your thoughts on Will Muschamp, but he had, he had those, I think it was five different things that you could look at in any given football game. And these are like five indicators. And again, some of them are more symptoms than anything. But if if you win these five sort of mini battles, then most of the time you're going to win the football game. And one of them was have more explosives than your opponent. Um, I think one of them is probably turnover battle. That's an, an obvious one. But one of them is win the field position battle. When you win the field position battle, that sort of – also, I think factors in a lot of your kind of maybe hidden yards that don't show up in the actual stats. Now you're factoring those in. And, you know, I I hate to tell everybody, but if South Carolina is having to go 99 yards in that stadium against that defense, like I, I think the way they were able to do that against Mississippi State sort of speaks to, in my opinion, how much better South Carolina's offense actually truly was than Mississippi State's defense. Like I – that they kind of at times moved the ball at will. And so I, I think that's something that there's a hundred reasons why that it's happening. 
But regardless of the reasons, you got to improve it a little bit. And um, I liked Logan's point. He's very detail-oriented, pointing out, hey, it's a little bit easier coming out of our student section at home and going 98 yards than it is when you have a holding call on a kickoff return and you're backed up against Georgia when they're all juiced up and having to try to go down the field against them. Yeah, it's incredibly difficult. It's, it's a lot more difficult, I think. And, um, you know, that's what you got to avoid. You know, again, I go back to what I said earlier. Chances of something going poorly um, are, are much higher than something big happening. You know, hitting an explosive inside your own 10-yard line to flip the field or even to score, right? Uh, just being able to, you know, avoid a turnover or something catastrophic happening. But, Wes, if, if you get a great punt – with your punter standing in your end zone, the other opponent is probably getting the ball near midfield, right? And that means they don't have to go very far to be in scoring range. And even if they don't, then you're just continuing to go back and forth on having terrible starting field position. And so although this offense has been explosive and they have been able to uh, manage that at times, it, it's certainly something that you want to avoid because um, – Complimentary football. I mean, you have to think about every single phase of it. Uh, Tennessee's got a dangerous punt returner in D. Williams. Pete Limbo spent a lot of time talking about him. They have uh, – he called Tennessee's punter the eighth wonder of the world. He can punt with both legs, right? Uh, and he'll kick it rugby style. And so they've got somebody that's capable of pinning you. They've got somebody that's capable of uh, returning it on you for sure as well not to mention all the offensive and defensive things that go into field position. So it's an important one every single week, Wes. But I just think we've seen enough from South Carolina through the first four games and then the fact that this is on the road and we've seen some some bad outcomes for them with poor field position on the road. That's why it kind of spurred me to say, yeah, you could – it's kind of like run the ball, stop the run. Like you could say field position's a key to the game in every single game. It was a little bit um, – I think amplified and intensified for me in this one to where I really think South Carolina's got to do much better in that category tomorrow night. Yeah, man. So I, I wrote about, I'm, I'm glad you brought up their special teams because I wrote about their punter a little bit in my three takeaways this week, which I actually, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to, speaking of amplify, I'm trying to amplify that a little bit. So I took it off of subscriber only. I, I made it free. Um, the next week it'll be back to for our subscribers, but I always try to just include interesting things in there that was brought up in the press conference. And dude, I knew about this whole recruiting um, punters from Australia trend. I had no idea that it was a takeover. And um, did you know that? 12 of the 14 punters in the SEC are nope. from Australia. Didn't and, know they were uh, As of the beginning of the year, six there are 61 starting punters in the FBS who are from uh, Australia. And it's because in their brand of football, their rules of football, you advance the ball by kicking it. So – while everybody over here, five years old, you're at the family cookout, you're throwing things everywhere, they're kicking stuff everywhere. So from the very early there, – there's actually a uh, 
let's see. There's there's actually a um, what would you call it? It's like a, an academy over there in um, Melbourne, Australia, where it, just they're training people to make the transition to American football, and so it's obviously been very very successful, but. Kind of one of those things that starts to get into the weeds, but could be a factor in this game. We know how detail-oriented Pete Limbo is. He was talking about how you kind of have a you have an impact spot, basically, where you know even if a guy is a rugby kicker, this is where, in general, he's going to be when he kicks the football. This is, in general, the direction it's going to go. And this is where it's going to roll. Well, with Tennessee – this cat can kick it with his right foot and his left foot. So you don't know which way he's going to roll and which way he's going to kick it. So very fascinating stuff. Uh, speaking of fascinating things, we're going to bring in a fascinating individual, our friend Chris Pascal. Chris, <laughs> did you know about the takeover of Australian-born punters in college football here in America? I had no idea that the I mean, Aussies I mean, are taking 12, over college 12 of 14 in the SEC, and there are 61 at last check. I stole this from an article, but I'm assuming it's true. 61 starters around college football are from Australia at the punter position, including Tennessee's guy who um, you would think I would say his name, Jackson Ross. There you go, Jackson. Um but he can kick with his left and his right foot. Have you ever heard of that? I didn't even know that was legal. It, it is legal, we think. Um, if it's we, not, we, we can get we going ball in involved. Y'all remember uh, the clip of uh, Mike Francesca being absolutely flabbergasted when somebody who covered soccer told him that soccer players typically could kick with both legs? I mean, this was absolutely amazing to him. He's like, they're kicking with both legs now, huh? It was, it was so funny. Got to pull up the clip. Pascal, could you snap with both hands? Either hand? Uh, well, your boy was not a center in, uh, in high school. so For some reason, I thought you were a center. Maybe it was the clip I saw of you snapping a football. Yeah, hey, if, uh, if you saw that clip, Chris, you would see that he can't snap with either hand. Yeah. Right, that's, that's the thing. <laughs> I know. Why would I have even thought that? That should have been the proof that he was definitely not a center. Hey, listen, I, I like I like being under uh, under center. You can't you can't be doing the shotgun stuff. <laughs> he, he's old school. No shotgun under center. I formation run the football. Uh, but in all seriousness, joined down by Gamecock Central columnist Chris Pascal, there with Goins Law Firm and uh, Pascal. I, I I like how you went with the uh, so your columns. I feel like are a little bit of a roller coaster for me in that I never quite know what new thing I'm going to either learn or what I'm going to be reminded of. <laughs> and so, so this week <clears throat> I can pull it up here. You, uh, so you do the verdict every week, but this week, the, the thing I liked about it is you went with a cliche on one hand, the whole plate, you got to play 60 minutes, uh, you know, 60 minutes of football while also bringing up my man who I remembered, but had completely forgotten who uh, had the all-time best viral Tennessee video. They low down, they dirty, they some snitches from back in the day. So I appreciated you bringing that back into my 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 memory here. But in all seriousness, 
what what do the Gamecocks need to do to make this a 60-minute game? Well, first let me talk about uh, Mr. – I think his name's uh, Irwin. Irvin, Irwin, uh, the guy for Alabama. He's the epitome of not all heroes wear capes. Um because that, that was an all-time rant, and I, I appreciate him for it. Because, to be honest, this is going to sound sacrilegious. I, I dislike Tennessee more than I, I dislike Clemson. I, I, I can't stand these people. Uh, I can't stand, can't stand their stadium. Uh, just, it's, it's just – it gets all over me. But um, I'll tell you what. Uh, if you told me um, back in the summer or following the North Carolina game – that I would have some confidence going into this game, I I would have told you you're crazy. But this whole week I've convinced myself. And I want to say, Mike Yuva, I appreciate you picking Tennessee because if not, and all of you had picked Carolina to beat Tennessee, I, I would have been convinced we're going to lose. So I appreciate Mike Yuva. Hopefully <laughs> that's what the the goal of his uh, picking Tennessee was. But I'm sure. Um, yeah, it's 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 obviously a, a big game, and and hopefully we uh, we're up for it. Pascal, I need. I'm gonna need to get. Let, let's go ahead and set this. You know, standard. What What's your pecking order? So you said Tennessee, even worse than Clemson for you. Yeah. Uh, so uh, shout out to my guy Kev Roche. I think um, he'll correct me if I'm wrong. I, I don't know in relation to Clemson, but Florida is his like. That that's that's he 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 doesn't do Florida. Like he, he just doesn't like Florida whatsoever. I dislike Florida and North Carolina more than I dislike Georgia. Georgia's not really one that really gets under my skin too much. Um, But, uh, yeah, I would say Tennessee, Clemson, then probably North Carolina and Florida right there, uh, right behind behind Clemson. But Tennessee – well, here's the thing. It's because every time I've been to Neyland, we've gotten just blown out. Um, And, you know, one time they were in your face. They were – the 2019 game where we were up after the first play, that shy Smith 75 yard touchdown. Um, and I'm sure I was celebrating a little hard. I'm sure I was, I'm sure I was cheering a little hard, but they, they went on a mission the rest of the game to make sure I knew that South Carolina lost to Tennessee. The second time I went was uh, 2021 when we were losing like 35, nothing at halftime. And it was even worse because they were like belittling me. Like we hope you have a fun time in Knoxville. We hope you enjoy the town. Like I don't want to hear from any of you people right now. <laughs> Poor Pascal. I know, I know. Uh, but so Pascal, are you are you going to Knoxville this weekend? I'm not. Because you... I decided okay. uh, if I went to Knoxville, it would either end in um, me going to jail or in a morgue, and uh, those options did not sound too appetizing. Yeah, let's uh let's avoid both of those as long as possible. Um but uh they're both so, inevitable. I just we just got to hold off on them. Yeah, so so part of the reason <laughs> they're both inevitable. Um, <laughs> part of the reason that uh we got Pascal here is to give us a little bit of the the fan thought on this matchup as well. And uh so what, where do you think Game Cognition is as far as confidence in this game? It it feels like on the other side you got you got the Vol Twitter super loud kind of overly confident group. For the most part, man, I also feel like Tennessee fans are a little bit unsure about this game. I feel like they're a little bit secretly worried about Spencer Rattler and what he could do to them after last year. Um, how confident do you think 
South Carolina fans are going into this. Well, I'll say this. They they aren't secretly worried. I, I'm a, as much as I'd uh, rag on Tennessee, I actually uh, have a good amount of friends that are Tennessee fans. And um, I actually uh, am very much a fan of the Tony Basilio show who uh, Colin Taylor was on with them earlier this week um, in Knoxville and Matt Dixon on that show as well. And they've said multiple times, um, this is a game that they do not have the best quarterback. And a lot of times in these big-time games, big atmospheres, um, rivalry game, you want to have the best quarterback. And I think that's part of the reason some Gamecock fans are um, quietly confident um, is that we have the best quarterback. And for so many years, uh, we did not have the better quarterback than the opposing team in a big-time game like this. And so we finally do. Um, and we have somebody that can make plays. And so I think a lot of Gamecock fans are quietly confident. I, if I was still, you know, hedging bets, if I was a betting man, I would, I would think Tennessee is going to win the game because um, I do think Nealon is going to play a, a massive role in this game, especially on the offensive line. But, um, you know, we do, we do have the better quarterback. And if you can get better quarterback play and if we can win the special teams battle, it's kind of like how we won at Clemson. We had the better quarterback and we won the special teams battle. So if we could, if we can do that, I, I feel confident. Yeah, for me, I, I mean, I, I like the matchup of Spencer Rattler versus Joe Milton. So, so called head to head, but it's not really like that. I just like South Carolina's quarterback better. But man, it's been an interesting dynamic this year because you know Pete Limbo's special teams have been solid but not spectacular this year, and I think uh, he, he kind of agreed with that that notion uh, during Wednesday's press conference. And so for me, it's a little bit different going into some of those games this year. Last year, I think any football game they went into, maybe with the exception of Notre Dame, who was really good on special teams last year, and both teams made plays on special teams to that point, I always felt good about South Carolina's special teams. This year's a little bit different, right? Um, they haven't they haven't sprung a kick return yet. They've actually had plenty of issues on kick return. They've been not quite as good punting the football. They've, you know, been they haven't hit one of those trick plays. And so, I actually think that question that you said, Pascal, about whether or not the special teams can make an impact, or even if you can just kind of play them even, so to speak, I think that actually is going to weigh in in this game and some others. You know, probably more than it did last season, I would say. Right, and it's one of those things too. It's um... You know, everybody thinks about the trick plays, um, Kai Kroger being nine for nine with four touchdowns or whatever the stat was. Um, right now, uh, especially in a game in Neyland, you want to win field position. And if we're not punting the football well, um, if we're losing the field position battle, uh, that could be a huge issue because if, if Tennessee um, is facing 80 yards, 75 yards, um, 90 yards, 60 yards, something of that nature – and Joe Milton has to throw the football, that's how you get you get into this game and you win. If they have a short field and they can just run the football down your throat, either kick a field goal or score a touchdown, um, you know, that's that's how they they blow out their opponents. So field position is going to be huge in this game. And, and guys, I think um, if you look back, South Carolina has not traditionally scored a ton of points in Knoxville, even when they've had pretty good offenses, even when they've had pretty good teams. Um it's either you get beat or you're grind. Even when you get beat, you're kind of grinding out 
a game or, mm-hmm. um, you know, that they've got what a 14 to three win in there. They've got a, um, the, the Chris Lamont stopped down near the yep. goal line. It was like a weird score. 15, yeah, 15 to nine. nine. Yeah. I mean, just some ugly, weird games. I remember going back to the Holtz era where South Carolina just would play Tennessee well, uh, but just could not quite win. You've got some battles under Spurrier as well. Um, you know, so it, it's been, I would say, a somewhat tough place to play for South Carolina over the years. Um, when the first win in, in program history in Neyland is in 2005, that's when you know it's a tough place to play. Yes, and that was a uh, Josh Brown field goal that rolls, like, over the top by a foot. Um, you know, that, that was – that, that was a tough game, a tight game as well. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. Does that affect this year's game? Probably not. But that, I mean, it's been a trend for 20-plus years at this point that you get into somewhat low-scoring matchups down there. Uh, but, uh, Pascal, we'll, we'll let you get back to it, man. But real quick, I, I guess, um, tell everybody about Goins Law Firm. And uh, I know y'all y'all have won many awards, but you just got – an award from the state newspaper as well. So uh, congrats on that. And uh, why don't you just tell everybody, you can tell them better than I can, what uh, they would get if they hired Goins Law Firm. Well, hopefully you, you never have to hire Goins Law Firm because uh, we handle a lot of uh, personal injury, catastrophic injury, um, trucking accidents, things of that nature. Um, but we're a small firm and and we every time you, you call, you're going to be speaking with an attorney. Um, every time you, you need to get, have a meeting, you're going to be meeting with an attorney. So, um, we really try and treat our clients as, as much as family as possible. And like I said, hopefully you never have to, <laughs> you never have to, to call us or hire us, but, um, we always are free to talk to. And, and if you do have any questions, more than happy to talk to you guys, uh, uh, to anybody about any issues that they're facing. Hey man, good stuff as always. Enjoy the game on Saturday and everybody out there. Of course, check out the verdict every Wednesday. We've got we've got it on a schedule now. Every single Wednesday, Gamecock Central. You can read the verdict, and uh, you never know where Pascal is going to take it, which is what makes it entertaining. So uh, we appreciate you, man. We'll see you soon. Okay, appreciate you guys. See you. Thanks, Pascal. Yep. Chris Pascal, Goins Law Firm, hopping in with us. Uh, so, Chris, let's let's go into Joe Milton a little bit more, man. I I feel like maybe one of the more interesting quarterbacks in the country in terms of the perception. Um, He's a little bit, he's kind of one of these guys where you've got a wide range of opinions on him as well. Um, Kind of like Spencer Rattler. Yeah, but I mean, dude, the the hype that was generated for Joe Milton prior to this season. Yeah. Kind of off the charts. And, um, you know they they have they have not lit it up offensively. He's kind of developed that reputation as being a quarterback who can um, have some miscues with his accuracy. However, then you look something you brought to my attention earlier today. He really does not throw interceptions. He's thrown one pick all year. Uh, did not throw any last year as both the backup and the bowl game starter just has, has not put the ball in danger, at least in the passing game. So it, it's kind of like I, I almost feel like both sides of the Joe Milton argument 
are maybe wrong. Like the people that are like, oh, biggest arm I've ever seen. This is a future first rounder are probably a little too high on Milton. And I, but I think the people that just almost disregard his ability as a quarterback because they're tired of hearing about the big arm probably aren't giving him the credit he deserves as far as the ability to spread the ball around. You know, he, he is completing over 60% of his passes. So it's not like he's just not completing balls. Some of those are short passes. They are behind the line of scrimmage. I get it, but uh, that's everybody in college football right now. Well, and man, we, we know, look, this guy's got tremendous physical ability. And I think the reason for the hype is, you know, we, we always tend to gravitate towards people with special physical tools and project that into production. So we, we actually have a local example here. Not It is different than Milton, but with Nick Carver, right? Even though um, we tried to do our best to, to forewarn Shane Beamer multiple times, tried the fact that you know he's 6'5", 240, and has Olympic-level speed to some means he should be on the field and he should be scoring a touchdown every game on a long ball, right? With Joe Milton, you know the fact that he can throw it. I mean, literally, what can this guy throw at 80, 90 yards? I mean, he's got an incredible arm. That typically means, okay, this guy's going to be a big-time quarterback. And I think that plus the fact that he was going into an objectively very quarterback-friendly offense, Josh Heupel's quarterbacks have put up huge numbers during his career. You look at what Hendon Hooker did next year. You and I, Wes, before the season said, look, I think Joe Milton will have a good year because he does have tremendous physical gifts, and this Tennessee offense will be good for him. I I just don't – I think there's some that we still don't know about Milton. I think you nailed it with kind of – you can't be too high or too low on him. This is someone that even though he's played what – this is his sixth year of college football, he's not been a full-time starter – for much of his career, right? Last year, I mean, he had 10 touchdowns, no picks, but Tennessee was blowing a lot of teams out. He was playing late. Had a great game in the Orange Bowl against Clemson. 68% completions, 251, three touchdowns, right? And he's taking good care of the football this year. Even in a, in a bad loss to Florida, they look pretty bad. You know, Joe Milton threw a pick. Was he the problem? I don't really think so. So he also, Wes, broke out the wheels last week with the 81-yard or 80-yard uh, right off the bat, run against uh, Texas San Antonio. So the the physical tools are there. This offense is going to be really good for him. But the question, I think there are still some questions remaining of when, now that he is in the most maximum pressure situation he's been in as a college quarterback, as a full time starter. You know how will he perform in some of these games? Because they were tested against Florida. Other than that, Wes, this team really hadn't been tested this season. Well, and I I did think it was somewhat – maybe I'm reading too far into it, but I don't think so. It was somewhat telling to me that in that game against Florida, even when they're down, they're continually continually running the football. And I get that they do run the football. Like we've talked about it, how it's kind of a misunderstanding out there. It's a misconception that they don't want to run the football. They're just high-flying passing offense when – Really, a lot of what they do is based off of being able to run the football. But it didn't really seem like there was a ton of sense of urgency to, like, put the game on Milton. Like, it was well past the point where, for example, again, different teams. But if this was South Carolina 
it was well past the point where Loggins would have been saying, all right, I'm rolling with my man Spaghetti 7 and uh, Spaghetti Sauce, and uh, I'm just putting it all on, you know, like. Spaghetti 7. Yeah, we're, we're just putting the ball in his hands and living with the result, right? Tennessee has not seemed to feel quite comfortable saying we're going to just put the ball, put the game on Milton's shoulders and live with the result. Can can South Carolina put them in that position, Chris, is a completely other question, I think. And and one small caveat, I totally agree with what you're saying. Tennessee also has more confidence in its run game than South Carolina has in its run game. I mean, As they should. As they should, right? I mean, again – Three guys, and, and yeah, I, I realize the competition, but if you got three guys averaging over six yards a carry, it's pretty good, right? I mean, two of the teams you played were power five teams. Virginia's not good at all. They're a defeated team so far this year, but they're a power five team, right? And so you're going and, and you're dominating. You know, they didn't have a good half against Austin P for sure. Didn't look great in that game, but they've, they've dominated those teams at times. So, but look, that therein lies one of the keys, Wes. This is a game you go in and you say, make make Joe Milton beat you in this game. If he does, honestly, you can probably live with it. I, I think what nobody wants to see is a Tennessee team that's going up and down the field running the ball or a Tennessee team that's giving Joe Milton very easy throws, South Carolina's defense giving him easy throws, not playing well on the perimeter, missing tackles. That's what you can't live with. If you're if he's throwing deep balls over your head, is it fun to watch? Only for Tennessee fans. But that's a result that you can live with more versus, you know, making them earn it defensively. Yeah, for sure, man. Um so Chris, you can probably answer this far better than I can. I know you're a little bit more dialed into personnel, but um, you know, no no more Jalen Hyatt. And they they obviously, I think, miss him and his ability down the field and his ability to make you miss. And South Carolina literally adjusted their personnel structure going into that game last year to account for him, which I think speaks to what he is um, – what, what he brought to that team. Uh, Travis saying they don't have the weapons on the outside like last year. I, I think that's probably true, but I also don't think that they just got nobody out there like they have some talent um maybe just not quite as game breaking as they did so chris what can you tell the people out there about what you've observed from their wide receivers in terms of uh, just skill and uh play style and what south carolina needs to be prepared for and, and do they have a guy who can do what our man did last week for mississippi state and just stretch the field with pure speed from that slot position. It's a great point on Hyatt, and uh, and I'll answer your question the best I can. But um, last year, it was a daunting task to go in and say, all right, y'all got to play against Hendon Hooker and this offensive style. And by the way, you've got, you know, Brew McCoy, a former five-star. You've got Cedric Tillman, who is to the eye will go to my grave, one of the most underrated receivers that we've seen in the SEC was an absolute dog even in that loss last year. Beat Cam Smith for a touchdown, closely contested. And then Jalen Hyatt. Wes, if that personnel was still here this year, this would be a game where you're taking some big gulps going in. 
especially with what we've seen at the nickel position this year for South Carolina. It's been an issue, right? Not just last game, but really I think in spots the entire year, some coverage issues in the back end, especially at nickel. Um, last year, to your point, they were able to move Cam Smith and say, Cam, you're playing mostly slot corner tonight. You're going to play 80 snaps. Did the same against Clemson. Worked out extremely well for the Gamecocks this year, as we've documented here on GC Live and on Gamecock Central. There's, it's more questionable, right? So the good news is you don't have Hyatt. You don't have Tillman to deal with, but you do still have a talented Tennessee wide receiver core. I mean, Brew McCoy, the Southern Cal transfer, former five-star, former top 20 guy, 6'3", 205, great size, can run. He can be a problem. You have Squirrel White, who's 5'9", 150. We saw him last year, smaller guy, but he's just a tough to deal with, you know, got tough to cover guy in space. And then Dante Thornton, who's a 6'5", wide out, who's a transfer from Oregon. He's another tough one. And then Ramel Keaton, who's played college football for, it seems like, 30 years. He's a senior, you know, so another one of these – Again, another group that's experienced, West has played a lot of college football. Um, have they matched up so far to, you know, Hyatt, Tillman, McCoy, who was there last year? No, uh, but they have a lot of talent, and these are all guys that, you know, different skill sets, different body types. They got a lot in the bag that can, that can still hurt you for South Carolina, and that, that should be concerning for a secondary that's, you know, had some issues at times. Yeah, Squirrel White, I mean, with, with the nickname – I mean, if, you're, if your name's Squirrel, you're going to be pretty good, I feel like, at uh, making people miss and making plays. And, you know, I, I, I had a thought, Chris. So, they obviously – it worked out completely, moving Cam Smith to, back to nickel. That's something – remember, they, they repped Cam at nickel all preseason last year, too. Like, this is something he has done. And so, it wasn't like, ah, we're going to just move a guy to a new position on a game week. But it, it was a, a change from what they had been doing the week prior. So I have wondered aloud, like, do, do you have – do you feel like you have that option here with somebody to potentially do that to at least, depending on the matchup, give yourself that option of having a little bit more of a corner at that nickelback spot versus going with a little bit more of a safety. However – Chris, unless you just have that perfect match, that perfect dude for that spot, there's some, there's kind of some danger in that thinking as well. Because I think, you know, you look at a guy like Duke U. Smith and you look at how much Tennessee is going to throw quick balls to the outside, how much they're going to try to hit you in the running game, both inside and outside. There is value to having that bigger body guy at slot who can get in there, who can get off a block, who can bust up a play, who can help kind of run the alleys or, or even set the edge. And so there's a give and take to that. I do wonder as, as Judge – I mean, Judge Collier has been a quiet storyline in that he could be a key figure for South Carolina moving forward. Not that he's going to just roll over there and play nickel, but his presence – and by the way, Chris, I went back and looked. He was the lowest-ranked prospect in South Carolina's class. Yep. And he he's making he's making an impact. Now, I'm not saying he's like an all-SEC guy yet. He's still learning. He's still getting it going. But he has stepped up. He obviously knows where he's supposed to be. That's what Clayton White said. Has some speed. Has some length. 
he stepped up as kind of the third corner behind OD and Marcellus. Well, that maybe in some scenarios as the year progresses gives you the ability to maybe slide sell Marcellus Dial back over to Nickel. That's a spot he's repped at, at least in practice in the past. And maybe in games, I, I don't know. I know Marcellus has played a lot in his career, but Travis pointing out the point of, could you see Nick E play some some nickel at some point in his career? I I mean, I think so. The, the problem with doing that is, unless we're just not aware, I, I don't feel like they've repped Nick a ton at nickel. There, there was that one comment that Clayton White made preseason or early season where he said, you know, even Warrior can play multiple spots. And we were discussing, does that mean he can play both safety spots? Does that include nickel? What does that mean? Um, Nick does give you a very unique blend of size and speed. Um, yeah. But I, I just think they, they need a guy they can turn to if they get caught in that situation where you just have a straight-up burner at slot receiver on the other side and you don't want to have to play zone, and you don't want to have to double that guy every time. Yeah, so there's two things. Number one, when, when you do, and Shane Beamer pointed this one out, when you make an adjustment in game and say, look, you know, trade off, but we're, you know, it's taking a guy away from something else, but sometimes you may have to double a guy. If you double him, you got to make sure you double him, which we, that, they messed that up on one of the long plays against Mississippi State. That's number one. But number two, you can tell, and this is going to happen really against any team, but especially with what offensive coordinators are looking at with South Carolina, they are going to try to scheme up matchups where they're getting one-on-ones with the nickels. So from a personnel standpoint, you also have to solve it, Wes. You have to you know, continue teaching your guys and bringing them along. A lot of young guys still playing at that nickel spot, except for you know David Spalding. The rest of, of the players are all young. You know, they're second-year players for the most part, or all of them. And so um, you got to continue bringing them along, but can you can you shift something in during the course of the season to bring somebody else along? I like the idea, right? And so I, uh, I don't know if it'll happen this weekend, but I am intrigued by it. And, you know, I wrote something the other day in our newsletter, solving the nickel spot in man coverage is something that they are going to have to do, I think, to have the type of season that they would like to, to have. Yeah, and I, I don't know, man. I could be wrong. It just does not seem like Tennessee is a team you necessarily want to play a lot of zone against. Like generally, if, if you just if you have a mismatch, you only have so many options. One of them is uh, just keep playing man and and hoping you can kind of lock it down a little bit better. That's usually not a great option. The other one is can you slide somebody over there and maybe have a trail trail guy that's going to just follow that person and try to match up with them there are other issues that provides because now you're kind of having to adjust everything you do to where one receiver is if they don't line up at the same spot every time um you can say hey we can't cover them in man we're gonna zone up but then if you're zoning up against tennessee they're just gonna throw the ball out into the flat and use that cushion against you i feel like so i think a lot of these teams especially the rpo teams they force you into playing man. They force you into matching up. And you kind of have to try to find a way to do it. To me, I just look at it like 
can South Carolina ultimately have one more one more club in their bag, so to speak, like one more option in order to um, match up with certain specific things you may see from week to week. But, but I also think Chris DQ Smith has gotten a little too much negativity from people this week. Like let's remember what the guy did for South Carolina last year. Let's remember that he is still a sophomore and let's remember that his best spot may be safety but he's kind of being forced to play nickel a good bit of last year and now this year too. Yeah, he is. And, and again, th- there were issues that weren't just DQ. You know, there were some issues with help. There's issue of not doubling the slot. Um, it's one of those where you kind of, at times, you you need to know what the call was. Um, there's some instances, Wes, and you just say, well, that guy just got beat. There have been some of those, but there have been some of the other too for South Carolina. So, again, a, a spot they need to solve is going to, it's going to definitely play a part in this game, as will so many other things. I mean, talking about DB's perimeter tackling, you know, it's going to be big. We know Tennessee is going to throw some quick passes out there. Um, kind of a – they can run the ball very well, but they use those short passes as an, as an extension of the run game. If you if you give it to them, they're going to take it. They're going to make you tackle them in the open field. South Carolina did not do that in 2021. In 2022, they challenged them much more. Again, they're in a different spot personnel-wise. So – that's a it's a fascinating part of this game. Well, can can you run the drop your you know what's defense that Cam Smith so uh, eloquently put? I think, with different I think personnel. I think you have to try. I really yeah. do. I, I mean, yeah. this is this isn't the game where you sit back and say. I mean, we saw that in twenty one. I don't think South Carolina was as aggressive in that one, and I think that was a you know a learning a learning experience for sure. I mean. Will they be as aggressive as last year? Probably not because the score could potentially get out of hand if you do that. But it could get out of hand if you say – if you don't stop the run and if you, you know, let them, uh, let them have easy money all day, it will also get out of hand as we saw in 21. Well, yeah, and that it, it was out of hand there to where you were almost playing so much of a bend but don't break that it was the same result. Like they're just easily – chipping away down the field, that does nobody any good. The only time a real bend-but-don't-break philosophy actually works is when you're being physical enough up front that they truly are having to earn every yard, I feel like. Um, So, yeah, some fascinating things. I like that word, Chris, that kind of game-within-the-game things that I think kind of little chess matches that are always constantly going on in football while 300-pound people are also trying to knock each other's heads off is – going to be really cool to watch play out. And um, all right, we're going to give our final thoughts and final predictions here in a second. But um, we got to show some love to a couple of people. First of all, my friend Andy with My Perfect Franchise. Head on over to MyPerfectFranchise.net. You can contact Andy multiple ways. Um, Andy Ludicky can be found at Andy at MyPerfectFranchise.net or you can give him a call or shoot him a text 404 973 Zero one. Andy is a franchise consultant as well as an experienced franchise owner. What that means is he helps people find franchises that fit their skill sets, financial requirements, time to commit, and more. Best part about it, his services are 100% free. He is here to help you if you have questions about business ownership. So basically, if you've always wanted to own a business, if you want to build some wealth, leave a legacy, diversify your income stream, but you're not quite sure how to get into franchising, Andy helps you do that by connecting you 
with a franchise that fits your needs and wants. So again, hit up Andy, 404-973-9901. And Chris, obviously, man, we tell everybody every single day, it is not tax time right now, but it will be soon. And again, if you are a small business owner or maybe a big business owner, if you're a franchisee, you need to make sure you know what your tax situation is going to be for next year. So what should they do, Chris? They should call our friend Larry at Liberty Tax. Give them a call, 803-462-5576. couple locations in the Irmo area. Larry, super knowledgeable. He's been in the tax game for a while. Let him help you like he helped me. Uh, he sat down with me and my wife, put together a great plan for us. So we ha- we're just coasting, Wes, right now from a tax standpoint. No worries about it. Doesn't mean we don't have to pay taxes just like everyone else, but Larry – can put together an outstanding plan for you where, where you don't have to stay up at night, not losing sleep at night. You're not caught unaware by a tax bill helping you lay out exactly what to expect and know your situation so you have no tax anxiety. Liberty Tax, Larry, 803-462-5576. No doubt. Um, Travis asking, is Andy just in South Carolina? No, he is all over. So, um Travis, if that's something that interests you, again, his services are free. I have had a chance to uh, to meet Andy just, you know, over the phone, talking to him, getting to know him a little bit, and uh, very, very passionate about what he does as far as matching you to a potential franchise. And uh, he, he does that all over the states. In fact, he's, he is not located in South Carolina. So hit him up if that's something that interests you. All right, Chris, I believe we've already given it away. We both picked South Carolina. Um. How confident are you in your pick? Not. Not confident. Low confidence pick this week. I do have Carolina 28-24. I'm once again picking. I think I picked the Gamecocks by, what was it, maybe four points. They ended up beating Mississippi State by seven. Another four-point margin this time. I don't think either fan base, coaching staff, media personality, I don't know if anybody could look at either of these teams and say that one is just markedly better than the other one. At least, maybe one turns out to be, but I don't see the evidence of it. So I think this is a close one. I'm riding with seven and Spencer Rattler. I'm banking on South Carolina making maybe one or two big plays on defense, grabbing a turnover or something like that, and uh, getting, a, getting a close one done in Knoxville. Yeah, I can, I can be honest and say I'd – I don't have a ton of confidence in my pick either. I did pick South Carolina. We'll see what happens. Not going to lie, I was a little ticked off at that last second or last minute field goal by Mississippi State last week because I had South Carolina winning by 10. (laughs) So I was a little upset by that. But uh, I had South Carolina 31, Tennessee 27, I think, uh, baked into that as I think they're going to have to force some field goals from the Vols. You know, force some drives that maybe produce yardage, but kind of keep them limited on those points, whether it's field goals or turnovers. And I said this earlier today. I just have a feeling somebody is going to make a late back-breaking turnover in this game. There you go. I like it. If, if you're the Gamecocks, you hope you're forcing it. You know, if you're Tennessee, you hope you're forcing it. I don't know which side it's going to be, but I just got a feeling – this is going to be a tight one, and uh, whoever can can force that negative play from their opponent will be the one to uh, to walk out as a winner. Carolina Titan has the Gamecocks winning by 10. Whew. 
I don't know. But hey, we we all learned last year. You just never know in college football, right? So, um, but we will have complete coverage. GamecockCentral.com. Colin Taylor and the crew will be on hand in Knoxville, and then we'll of course have coverage uh, throughout the rest of the week. Sunday, moving on, you know, post game stuff, breakdowns, analysis. Come check us out on GamecockCentral.com. We actually right now limited time still. You can get fifty percent off your first year of a Gamecock Central membership if you are not a prior subscriber. Any anything else, Chris? Or are you uh, you ready to start this weekend? Like you said, man, we emptied we emptied the chamber here on Friday. Yes, we did. He is Chris. I am Wes. Uh, hope you all have a great weekend. Great day out there. Get outside. Enjoy the weather. Appreciate each and every one of you for for joining. And uh, hey, we'll talk to you soon. You all have a good one.